Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see each of you. Before we jump into our study of God's Word, a couple of quick announcements. Just want to keep you alert and aware of some things happening as we come closer and closer toward the the culmination of our 36-month next-gen journey. Uh, One of them is that we have mailed out our next-gen contribution statements for this first quarter of the year. We want you to know they're on the way, and you can check those out. And just maybe it's going to be a season for some of us to be able uh, to give, return to the Lord, uh, a little more beyond what we've been doing uh, as we are in this season um, of the year. We want you to be aware of that. And that leads right into just an update for our grand opening. You've probably uh, kind of assumed this by now, but we are not going to be able uh, to be in our new auditorium by Easter Sunday. Uh, We are still uh, working with the the city, and there's still some things going on, and we're we're working through those things as uh, quickly as we possibly can. Uh, Right now, uh, what I'll be able to say to you is that it's going to happen sometime in May, okay? I'm not going to give you a specific date that I might have to change next week, but it is getting closer, and we are excited about it, and I hope you are uh, excited as well, because uh, before we know it, we're going to be able to be uh, sharing uh, God's worship together in this new uh, auditorium uh, that will give us more potential and opportunity to invite even more people uh, to be a part of what God is doing here. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, you'll want to get your Bibles open to John's Gospel, the chapter is the ninth chapter. We are in our final week of our series, Red Talks, Conversations with Jesus, that we find in the Gospel of John. And today's conversation is about paying attention. Uh, In this conversation, we're going to see the kind of love that Jesus has, the kind of love that we should show to other people. And it's kind of a long story. So we're going to be working our way through this a few verses at a time, and we'll start with verses 1 through 11. So John writes this, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day... We must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. This is a story about Jesus noticing a person other people didn't notice. Jesus was someone who really did pay attention. Now, we all know a scene like this. A couple is sitting at the breakfast table. Uh, The wife is pouring out her heart in conversation, and the husband is looking at his iPhone. And she gets frustrated finally and says, you're not listening to me, and He responds and says, well, I can repeat every word you said, and he does. 
And here's the question, and women, feel free to answer. Is she satisfied with that? No, she is not. Why not? Well, she doesn't just want him to get the words. She wants him to put down the stupid iPhone, look her in the eye, and actually pay attention to her. Am I right? I'm just telling you, ladies, that was like a teed up for you right there. I was giving you a shot, you know. Well, paying attention is really one of the most powerful forces in the world, isn't it? A study was done not too long ago with a high school class, and all the students were in on the experiment, and it went like this. When the teacher taught from the right side of the room, the students did not pay attention. No eye contact, no response, no smiles, nothing. As he moved toward the left of the room, they began to pay more attention. They would sit up straight, and the farther he moved toward the left, the more attention they paid. When he was way over on the left edge of the room, on the wall by the left side, they would take notes, they would smile at him, they would make eye contact, they would nod their heads at him. And by the end of the quarter, this teacher would be standing in the corner of the room on the left side, the entire class. You see, paying attention to people shapes their behavior and shapes their lives. And attention is just a very powerful force. I mean, anyone who's ever spoken in public knows how powerful attention is. I mean, when you speak, certain faces, they encourage you. And I, I find this to be true week after week. You know, some of you almost like feed me by, by physically paying attention to me. There are certain faces that I look for and that I kind of stay focused on because by the way you smile and nod and make eye contact, you're just telling me, go for it. Yeah, go for it. And then there are some other faces. <laughs> and it's just kind of better not to look at those faces. I don't really want to see them. And I'm not going to tell you who that is. Don't ask. And, you know, one of the first times I ever preached a long time ago, someone fell asleep, and it was really kind of devastating. It kind of crushed me. And I still remember driving home after church with Dana afterwards and just saying, Dana, you know, next Saturday you really got to go to bed earlier. <laughs> that actually didn't happen, but it's a good story. So, <laughs> you know, attention is so valuable, isn't it? If you notice, we don't just give it. How do we distribute attention? We pay attention. It's like money. It's a valuable thing. Here's where I want us to focus today. God calls us to be people who pay attention, who really care about those around us. And as we work our way through this story, what we're going to see are four ways that Jesus teaches us to pay attention. You can go ahead and write this down. First of all, people who pay attention are people who see insignificant people. And you'll notice that's in quotes. Uh, in this story, we see Jesus paying attention to someone that everyone else ignores. This man in John 9, he has spent his entire life being ignored. No one ever thought he was worth noticing. He's just a blind beggar. If you've ever 
uh, been at, at an intersection with a, a guy standing there holding a sign that says something like, we'll work for food, and you watch what happens between the drivers and this guy. He's trying to catch their eye. They're averting their eyes. They're pretending that he's not there because they feel like once they pay attention, they have to respond. And then you kind of get the scene of what this guy's life, his entire life, was really like. I mean, this was his whole life. I mean, it's almost like what he did for a living was get ignored. That's how he lived. And and John says, going back to verse 1, as Jesus went along, he saw a man. He saw a man. Now, if you're into underlining or circling in your Bible or in your notes, you'll want to notice that verb that we're going to see again and again throughout this chapter. See, all through John 9... He, he, he keeps using this little verb to see. It just keeps popping up. John is just telling this story with great skill. And he's comparing physical sight with spiritual insight. And he's going to contrast the uh, ability to see spiritually with spiritual blindness, with people who think that they can see, but in fact cannot see at all. I wonder if you understand that there is not the smallest detail in your life that is not of immense interest to Jesus. Jesus pays attention to you. Jesus is fascinated by you. You may feel like I'm boring to a lot of other people, but that's not true with Jesus. You are never boring to God. And Jesus sees this guy And as a result, his disciples also notice him, and and they respond by asking Jesus what seems to us a very odd question in verse 2. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's a strange question, isn't it? I mean, how could his blindness, which existed from his birth, be caused by his sin? There was a common belief in Jesus' day that it was possible to sin in the womb. And we don't get that, but there were people who believed that back then. And so they just thought, okay, either this unborn child somehow sinned or his parents somehow did, because why else would he be born blind? Somehow it made people feel better if they could think that this suffering person somehow deserved his suffering. We probably shouldn't get too superior about this because today many of us, just be honest, will find ourselves at times thinking that there must be some kind of cause and effect between that person's suffering and something they did. And even Christians who are supposed to live in God's kingdom sometimes find themselves believing in some kind of karma. See, his whole life, it was just about being ignored. He was blind, and that was depressing to people. He was a beggar, and that was demanding for people Uh, They thought that sin had caused his blindness, and that was disgusting to people. Mothers would walk by him with their children and tell them, don't look at him, don't pay attention to him. He doesn't deserve what he's asking for. Just ignore him. And that's how he lived his life. And then Jesus shows up one day, and Jesus comes to this man that everyone else ignores, and he stops. And the disciples say, who sinned? And Jesus says to them, you haven't been paying attention. God has not forsaken him. God has come to him. See, this is just the kind of guy Jesus is looking for. He wants something and he doesn't deserve it. Jesus is looking for people like that. I don't know if you've thought about it 
yet, but in reality, we are all this guy. Every one of us. None of us is significant. And yet, and yet, the Bible is so clear that God gives us the greatest attention of all, his own son's death. Romans 5, 8 says, and while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. You see, we are all this guy because we are all spiritually blind. And I think that points us to something very significant. I think that's why this miracle, giving sight to the blind, maybe you've noticed this, it's like Jesus' favorite miracle. Opening blind eyes was actually the key sign of the Messiah's coming. This is a miracle that's reserved for Messiah. And we see this in the Old Testament. It's prophesied many times. I think that's why we see this miracle being done in every one of the Gospels. It's why Jesus gives sight to the blind more than any other miracle, any other category of healing. It's why we actually don't read of blind people receiving sight in the Old Testament. There's only a few statements about God being able to do it. This is a sign that has been set aside, reserved for the Messiah when he came. And so that means that when this happens, as it's happening in John 9, it is a glorious declaration that Messiah has come. And it reminds us that Jesus paid attention to people so that their eyes might be opened, so that they could actually see. Now, if we're his followers, if we are living like him, the question has to follow, do we pay attention to people? Do you pay attention to people? Or do you have a habit, maybe in some parts of your life, at labeling certain people as as insignificant? I want to challenge you right now. This is like the application, one of the application parts of this message. I'm going to challenge you right now. Why don't you ask God to put someone on your mind right now? Put someone on your mind who maybe tomorrow or this week or sometime in the near future that you can love by paying attention to them, that you can serve by by entering into their life in some way, that you can maybe, if God opens the door, share your faith with. Would you write a name down as God brings that person to your mind? A second mark of people who pay attention, uh, they are people who see that God created us to do his work. Now look at verses 3 through 5. Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, verse 4 is one of the two key verses in this entire passage. Verse 39 is the other one. We're going to get there in a while. But in verse 4, Jesus says, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, what does Jesus mean by saying it is day? Well, what he's saying is that there is now an extraordinary opportunity, but it's a limited time deal. It's not going to be around forever. Like the daytime, it's going to be over. And it's possible that you could miss it. You see, remarkable opportunities are often that way. It's like you only get one shot and you miss it and it's gone. Several weeks ago, Dan and I got a chance to see Uh, the musical Hamilton, and maybe you you know that song from this blockbuster musical that's called My Shot, and it's got those famous words, I am not throwing away my shot. And Jesus says, it's day, night is coming, the day is going to end, 
you will have an extraordinary opportunity to do the work of God. So don't throw away your shot. However, in verse 9, he doesn't say, I must do the work. What he says is, we. Did you notice that? Maybe you want to underline or circle that. We must do the work of God. So that includes the disciples, and by extension, that means it includes all of the disciples, and that means that includes you and me, right? See, if you really want to get it, maybe you need to put your name there. This is important because I think in general, one of the harder things for human beings to see is that they were actually created to do the work of God. And I was sort of reminded uh, this week about a movie that came out in 1980. It was actually set in Chicago where we used to live. Some of you will remember the movie. It's called The Blues Brothers. And it includes these two bumbling characters, these musicians, wannabe musicians who have a cause. And if you've seen the movie, you remember that people were always asking them, what are you doing? And they were always answering the same way. You remember what they said? They, they would say, we're on a mission from God. You know that, right? <laughs> Tells me a little more about this audience. <laughs> and see, the joke is, what's funny about that is that these two ordinary, mediocre, wannabe music uh, musicians, they somehow think that they have been commissioned by the God of the universe. That's like the point of the joke. I mean, how could these two guys be on a mission from God? And it's really kind of true that everything in our world is designed to keep us from thinking that we're on a mission from God. Like, if you don't believe me, next time a policeman stops you and asks you, why were you driving so fast? Just tell him, I'm on a mission for God. See what happens. You know, next time your spouse asks you why you left your dirty clothes on the floor, just say, I'm on a mission from God. See how that works out for you. Kind of sounds a little grandiose, doesn't it? You know, to say, I'm on a mission from God. But what's the alternative? The alternative is you're not on a mission from God. Because it's either one or the other. And the truth about your life, which you must see today, is this. You are on a mission from God. And Jesus is very clear about this as he talks to his followers. He says to you and to me, you are the salt of the earth. He says to us, you are the light of the world. You're like a city set on a hill as my people up where everyone can see a light that cannot be hidden. And we must come to see our lives in such a way that we understand we are always on a mission from God. And people often miss this. And that's why Jesus says, while it's still day. There's another important thing to notice. Notice when it is that Jesus did the work of God. We notice this back in verse 1 where John writes these words, as he went along. See, Jesus was traveling. And the point is that this was not his job. Have you ever experienced this where you wanted something, I don't know, at a restaurant or a store and somebody didn't want to do it and so they say, well, that's not my job. You ever told someone, that's not my job? (laughs) This was not his job. He was not in the synagogue. He was not giving the Sermon on the Mount. He was not feeding 5,000 people. And it just reminds us of something very important. The main place where you will do the work of God in your life is just as you go along, just as you live your life. 
It does not need to be in some high-profile, important position. In fact, one of the greatest barriers to actually carrying out the mission that God gives to us is this illusion that we must have an important job or an impressive title because in all of our lives, all of our lives, mostly this business of doing the work of God happens as we go along. Just in the routine, ordinary, unspectacular corners of our lives. Most of the time, we do God's work as we just live our lives. And it will happen with the people and the opportunities God brings into your daily life. You see, God is not going to ask you one day, did you achieve financial security or did you live in the right neighborhood or did you get that promotion? God is going to ask you, did you do my work? Did you do my work? And I'm here to tell you today, this is your day. It's day, night is coming, this is your day, and if the light of God is going to shine into your little kingdom in this world, it's going to have to be through you, so don't miss it. If you miss it, you will not get it back. This is the day. Don't throw away your shot. Now, a great question is what is the work of God? And a lot of people get confused on this point, and many times we find ourselves kind of turning this into uh, something about keeping rules, uh, something about following directions and instructions. We get rule-oriented, we get legalistic, we get religious, and we see this playing out in this story where Jesus and the religious leaders, they disagree strongly on what it means uh, to do God's work. Look at verses 13 through 16. This blind man is brought before the Pharisees, and we're told in verse 14 that it was actually the Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And verse 15 says, therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man said, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. You see, in the religious leader's eyes, what mattered most was that Jesus had broken the Sabbath. And they had a long list, like a list of 39 things you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. And that's what they thought constituted the work of God, not doing those things. You've heard some of this probably before. On the Sabbath, you were not allowed to cut your fingernails. They They deemed that work. You're actually not allowed to look in a mirror on the Sabbath because if you look in the mirror, you you might want to pluck a hair from your head or from your beard, you know, to kind of clean things up. You you are not on the Sabbath allowed to mix and knead, which primarily would refer to making bread, but it also would refer to mixing clay. And so that means when Jesus used saliva and dirt to make a little bit of clay, He broke their rules. And then beyond that, more than that, on on the Sabbath, healing was not allowed. One of their rules was that you you could receive medical attention on the Sabbath, but only if it was a life or death matter. And then only to keep you from dying, it could not be to improve your health. Like if your hand or your foot got dislocated, you were not allowed to pour cold water over it on the Sabbath because that might help to heal the sprain. You see, for these people... The work of God was about keeping rules. 
But Jesus says something very important, and we need to hear it again and again. He says, the work of God is not primarily about rules. Here it is. This is actually the third mark of people who pay attention. We need to see that God's work is primarily about people. And in this story, Jesus reminds us that people are our business if we want to do the work of God. He says, you need to start by paying attention to people, especially people that other people ignore. Again, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were so devoted to showing their righteousness that they actually missed the core of God's work. What's the core of God's work? Jesus says it's love. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. So go ahead and write this down. If you want to know what the work of God is, ultimately God's work is about love. And then write down, and love starts by paying attention. Now again, just to understand this, to see how unloved and how ignored this man was, look back at verses 8 and 9. Remember, this man had been a beggar. He had been a beggar by the side of the road probably for years, maybe for decades. He's been in the same place day after day, year after year. But notice in verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar begin to ask this question. Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said yes. Others say, no, it just looks like him. But here's the thing. Do you see what's going on here? These people, his neighbors, who hung around where he begged, who were with him, around him, in his presence every day for weeks and weeks, months and months, years and years, they had ignored him for so long, they didn't even know what he looked like. And then you go on to verse 12. They ask another question of him. They say to him, and this is actually, I think, pretty funny, They say to this guy who's just been healed of lifelong blindness about Jesus, they say, where is this man, Jesus? That's funny. You get it? I think the blind man said, "Uh, well, I was blind, so I'll go with, I don't know. Jesus comes to him. He's totally blind. Jesus puts mud on his eyes. He's got to somehow make his way to the pool of Siloam. I don't know exactly how far that was. Jesus goes off somewhere, and they want him to tell them where Jesus went. Again, this is just another sign of how massively they have been ignoring him, how they had just never paid attention to this man. And it highlights for us this capacity that we have as human beings to go through our day, sometimes day after day, without paying attention. It's a staggering thing. I read this true story some time ago. This guy had been drinking far too much, and he was driving, and he got pulled over by the police, and he was nailed, and he knew it, and the policeman was writing him a ticket when all of a sudden, kind of across the road, it's like a divided highway, an accident took place. A couple of cars crashed into each other. And the policeman said to this guy, you need to wait here. He goes across the road to deal with what's going on there. And this guy thinks, this is my chance. Because he's thinking really clearly, right? You think about this. So he gets in his car and he drives home and he pulls into the garage and he closes the garage door and he goes into the house and he tells his wife, look, I'm going to bed. I don't feel well. If anyone comes looking for me, just tell them I have been in bed all day. I mean, just think about how likely this is to work for him. 30 minutes later, there's a knock at the door and it's the officer and the wife answers the door and says, my husband's been sick in bed all day long. And the officer says, "Um, right, uh, I need to talk to him. 
And so she takes him back to the room, and the officer says, look, you were just with me at the highway. You were arrested. I was writing you a ticket. And the guy says, no, that wasn't me. I've been in bed all day long. The officer says, look, get up, okay? I want you to take me to your garage. And so the guy gets up. They walk to the garage. They open the door, and there in the garage sits the police squad car. Lights are still flashing. This guy had been so out of it that he got in the wrong car, drove the police car home, drove it into his garage, shut the garage door, and went to bed. The human capacity to go through a day without paying attention is staggering. Anybody here want to make confession right now? You've done something pretty close to that stupid. (laughs) Let me give you two questions to write down, and this is more for you to reflect on this week as you maybe come back and read this chapter again. The first question is, are you paying attention to God? Are you listening to that still small voice? And that's how God usually speaks, isn't it? The still small voice that requires generally a lot of quiet for us to hear. See, the problem for some of us is to pay attention to God, we would have to reduce the noise in our lives. Amen? And so whatever causes noise in your life, maybe it's your schedule that you just keep running on because you don't like to get quiet. Maybe it's your technology where you're constantly being diverted in your attention or just stimulated to go in other other ways. Maybe you just need to get serious about reducing noise in your life so you can pay attention to God. Second question, are you paying attention to people? See, do you know what the secret of, of being an irresistible person is? I'll tell you. You can write this down in case you're interested. Pay attention to other people. Pay attention to other people. See, if you want to do the work of God, just start by simply attending to people, by, by noticing them, especially noticing the people that everyone else ignores. You know, when you pay attention to someone and you focus in on them, what you're saying is in that moment, you are the most important person in my world right now. And that's what Jesus does for this blind man. There's an author who wrote this about love. Pretty interesting words, and I think he's right. He says, love is a form of work. The principal form that the work of love takes is attention. When we love another person, we give him or her our attention. We attend to that person's growth. The energy required for the discipline of focusing total attention is so great that it can only be accomplished by love. Jesus pays attention to this man and he changes his life. And the Pharisees are so opposed to Jesus and we begin to see this other kind of spiritual blindness coming into the story that they don't want to admit what has clearly happened right before them. All they want to do is discredit what Jesus has done, even though it's obvious he's done a miracle. They don't want to see it. And so they call this guy's parents in. Look at verses 18 and following. It says, uh, the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? And uh, the parents' response is very interesting here. In verse 20, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. It's kind of like mom and dad say, one, two, three, not it. 
They're not going out on the limb very far for their boy, are they? And, and verses 22 and 23 tell us why. It says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. And and this actually brings us to a fourth thing. If we're going to see like Jesus says and pay attention to people, we need to see that we must choose who we will pay attention to. We have to choose. Because there will always be forces in this world that don't want us to pay attention to Jesus. We need to remember that devoting full attention to Jesus will often involve a cost, a price. We see this in this man's life. The Pharisees call this guy back for a second round. And again, this is fascinating. I love this guy. I'm looking forward in eternity one day to meeting this guy. He's an incredible character. This guy who has spent his whole life being ignored. And all of a sudden, everybody is like falling all over himself, themselves to get at him. So Jesus sees him, first of all, then the disciples see him, and then his neighbors see him, and now he gets dragged off to the religious leaders once, and now he's coming back for a second interview. I mean, everybody wants to talk to him, and you're going to see this. It's so fascinating. This guy who's never done anything, he's just sat by the side of the road, it seems like his whole life, all of a sudden, he is full of energy, and he's kind of feisty, and he's a little snarky. Some of you are going to really relate to him. He gets called in before these leaders again, and they have this clear agenda. They want him to say something that discredits Jesus. And you just have to see the way he handles himself is amazing. He's, he's really one of the most compelling characters in John's gospel. Verse 24, they say to him, give glory to God. This is like telling him to take an oath in which he's going to promise to tell the truth. They say, we know this man is a sinner. I love this response. Verse 25, he replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Just kind of poking him, you know. I mean, for someone who's been ignored his entire life, this is just remarkable, right? In verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And with these religious leaders, this implicit claim that they're making is that they would be able to see and recognize anyone doing God's work truly. And he has a great response in verse 30. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. (laughs) We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. And they answer him like a lot of people answer when they don't have an answer. Verse 34, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. See, they don't want to listen. All they got left is insults. So they're going back to what the disciples had asked about at the beginning of the chapter, who sinned, this man or his parents? 
And that's what they're coming back to. And they say, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And now we really begin to see their blindness. And it's so ironic. They see themselves as totally devoted to the work of God, but they are so busy with what they understand that God himself comes and they never notice. They're not paying attention. I mean, really, what other word can you use to describe them other than blind? One of the words that John uses in this chapter is actually a a special Greek word for vision. It's the Greek verb theoreo. Maybe you hear the word theory, uh, theoretical. And it has a particular shade of meaning. Back in verse 8, it talks about how the neighbors looked at the blind man but didn't really see him or notice him. It's a word that we might translate as overlook. And this is what's going on here. Maybe you've done this too. You ever been reading a book and like you get to the end of the page and you're about to turn the page and you realize, I have no idea what I've been reading the last few minutes. God says this human capacity to not pay attention is really a staggering thing. We come to verse 35, and we're coming now to the conclusion of the story. John writes, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Now again, John is very careful throughout this story to kind of show this unfolding picture of this man's increasing insight into who Jesus really is. Remember back in verse 10, the neighbors asked him, who healed you? And his response is just the man they call Jesus. That's all he knows. He knows his name. And, and then in verse 17, when the Pharisees interview him for the first time and they say, what do you think about this man who opened your eyes? And he says, he is a prophet. He's beginning to realize there's something special about Jesus. And then in verse 33, in the second interview with the religious leaders, he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, it's become clear to him now that Jesus is not just a prophet, that he has actually been sent from God. And then finally now, Jesus goes back and pays attention to this man that no one else has paid attention to before. And he says to him, you're now in the presence of the Son of Man. And in verse 38, it says, Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. See, again, John paints this picture so very beautifully. Verse 37, you notice the way Jesus says it to this guy who has been blind his whole life. You have now seen him. He's telling him, you can see now, but not just with your physical eyes. You can see spiritually. You can see with your heart. You have found the one worth seeing. You see, when the disciples looked at this guy, they just saw an interesting theological problem. I mean, who sinned? That he was born blind. 
When his neighbors looked at him, they saw an eyesore. They, they saw an annoyance, a reminder of suffering and poverty that they had trained themselves to overlook. When the Pharisees looked at this man, all they saw were broken rules, a violated Sabbath, a threat to their spiritual authority. But when Jesus looked at him, Jesus saw an opportunity to do the work of God. Jesus saw a child of God who needed to be delivered from blindness. And Jesus says in this pivotal verse, remember verse 39, that all human beings are heading in one of two directions. All human beings are on certain trajectories, one way or another. And this is the capstone verse, really, of this chapter. If you think about it deeply, it will take your breath away. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world. Now, understand when he says this, it does not mean that he has come to bring condemnation to people or that he just enjoys being judgmental. What he is saying is this. He's saying, when I come, it presents people with a choice and they will choose one way or another. There will be a kind of judgment that flows out of their choosing that is inevitably a result of my coming. He says, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see. So that someone who is blind and insignificant on the side of the road like this guy can be given sight, and not just physical sight, but spiritual sight to actually see what matters forever. And then those who do not see, Jesus says, those who are blinded by sin that they can have their eyes open and be forgiven and be given the gift of sight. But then on the other side of this deal, Jesus says, and those who see, in other words, those who think they see, those who in their smug judgmentalism and self-righteousness who claim to be the spiritually insightful ones, that they may be shown to actually be blind as they in fact are. Jesus says, those who see will become blind. The Pharisees hear about this. And in verse 40, they say to Jesus, what? Are we blind too? And they're expecting Jesus to accuse them of blindness. But Jesus says something far more serious. Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, In other words, now that you refuse to acknowledge your sinfulness before the God who longs to forgive you, now that you continue to take this posture of stubborn rebellion, self-righteousness, now that you do that, your guilt remains. Now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. See, Jesus is saying, I've come into this world and here is the deal. There are people who are blind. They have been blinded by their sin and guilt. But all they have to do come before God and say, God, I'm blind, and God will give them the gift of sight. I once was blind, but now I see. And Jesus says, there are people who claim to not need God, people who claim that they have all the insight on their own that they need, and he says, that's really blindness, and God will allow them to live in that blindness if that is what they choose. See, it's one of two trajectories. Which one are you on? Which one are you on? Let me leave you with a question. And this is a question for all of us, especially those who follow Christ. Are you paying attention? 
are you doing God's work? Whatever work he's called you to do. It will involve people. People that God so loved that he gave his son to die so that those who are blind can see. Those who are blind can see. I want to leave you with a question, and I'm, I'm serious about this question. I want to really challenge you to take this question seriously. Who does God want you to pay attention to this next week? Will you be willing, in the moments that are about to follow, where we are all praying for a few moments together, will you be willing to actually ask God, God, who do you want me to pay attention to? And then will you write down whatever names he brings to your mind, whatever names he brings to your heart, And then I want to challenge you even further. Some of you are going to pray that or you're going to say the words maybe in your mind and nothing's going to come to your mind. Don't think you're off the hook because maybe God wants you to pray that more than once. I was just thinking about that during the first service and I thought to myself, this is not in the text. This is just gospel according to me or something like that. But maybe some of us are also kind of spiritually deaf. And maybe we need to ask a few times before God helps us understand who it is we need to pay attention to. Will you pray that? Will you ask that? Will you write that down, that name down, whoever God brings to your mind? And then will you begin to look for ways to show that person love, to serve that person, maybe to invite that person to Easter to be part of what God is doing here as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you just need to share the gospel with them as God opens doors. Will you pay attention? Will you pay attention? This is God's word for us today. Would you bow your heads as we pray?